We'd like to thank Harry and David for supporting our podcast today, your source for excellent gifts for food grown and prepared in Southern Oregon. From their famous pears and peaches to moose munch and chocolate truffles, Harry and David offers great ideas for holiday giving. Shop at harryanddavid.com and when you do, make sure to enter the promo code PDX10 to receive 10% off from now until the end of February 2016. And thank you, Harry and David. This is Chris Angelus, and you are listening to Right at the Fork. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate your following us and rating us and um, also sharing the podcast uh, with your friends or whomever. You can find us at rightatthefork.com, which is where you may be listening to us or your favorite podcast sources. But we'd also like you to follow us on Instagram at foodpodcastpdx, on Facebook at Right at the Fork, and um, so you'll be updated with the latest news on who's coming out. And sometimes you'll see some discussions with the folks that we talk about on the podcast or speak with. So please do that. Uh, today, we, um, we have a riot on the show, Cider Riot. Abram Goldman Armstrong, who runs Cider Riot. Uh, right now, he's running it out of his garage, but it's to the point where he's bursting at the seams and will be opening... Uh, a facility with a tasting room in a few months, and we'll talk about that as well. He's got quite an interesting background, starting on a farm, working with apples at, uh, at the age of 15, getting into uh, brewing his own beer and cider in college, writing about it extensively in Willamette Week and some other publications. And uh, I had the good fortune to go on a tour put on by the folks at Buick, uh, a couple of months ago, or a couple of weeks ago, actually, and um, and I was struck by how much, how interesting Abram made uh, cider sound before we were tasting it, and um, really enjoyed his that conversation. And I don't know, didn't know much about cider before that, and I'm hopeful that after you listen to this pod- podcast you will know a little bit more and want to go try some of the different opportunities that exist in Portland. So enjoy this podcast and enjoy your cider coming up this holiday and then throughout the season. It's a nice alternative to uh, beer and wine. Well, thanks for coming. So your bio talked a lot about your business and that's great because that's you know, I had the opportunity to go run around with you on a cider tour a couple of weeks ago, which was great. And within two minutes, I thought, well, there's a guy we need to have on the podcast because you're very well spoken and you gave a great presentation. So thanks. But we want to find out a little bit about what got you to cider. Okay. Well, I grew up out in uh, Yamhill County, um, out west of the town of Yamhill and on a small farm there. Uh, we always pressed apples every year just to make, you know, apple juice. Um, but uh, a good friend of my dad's uh, actually started planting his uh, cider orchard uh, back in 1989 uh, over at White Oak Cider up on Ribbon Ridge there uh, in between Yamhill and Newburgh. And uh, my first, uh, you know, paying job off the 
family farm was actually helping Alan plant these cider-specific uh, apple varieties back in the 90s. So how old were you then? Oh, I was probably high school age, so probably 15, 16. And, That's uh, something that a high school kid could do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> dig big holes and put, put trees in them, basically, yeah. So, um, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, kind of, you know, got acquainted with cider and, you know, he was making a very traditional English uh, Somerset-style uh, cider uh, that he was aging in, in oak barrels and using all the specific cider variety, bitter sharps and bitter sweets, uh, apples like Kingston Black, Yarlington Mill, uh, Dabinette, and, and Harry Masters Jersey. So I got a real appreciation for these very, you know, in North America, very rare cider variety apples um, from an early age. And so that was uh, kind of inspired me. Uh, when I went away to college, I started uh, Where'd making, you go to school? I went to uh, McAllister College in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. Oh, nice. So... You had yeah. some cold semesters. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a bit of a shock for a, a kid from the Coast Range in Oregon to go, yeah. go out there. Uh, I did it. I did a year in Syracuse, and which was just as cold as yeah. Minnesota, and uh, ended up in Tucson, Arizona. That was my antidote yeah. for that. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, uh, after my first January there, they had a January term, and that was that was my, my last January that I spent in Minnesota. Yeah, so. no, <laughs> when I actually was registering for classes in I'm not going to say the year, but it was a long time ago. It was negative 80 with the wind chill factor in Syracuse that day. Wow. And I'm not kidding. Yeah, that's not that's, just an exact. Yeah. A down jacket, which were new then, had nothing, d- did not did yeah. not work. So anyway, Minnesota. Yeah, in, when, in Minnesota. So I, I uh, wanted to start homebrewing, basically uh, started uh, by making my own cider. I uh, got a bunch of just eating apples from the dining hall and uh uh, a cheese grater and two plates was my first uh, apple press there and uh, got um, some champagne yeast from the local homebrew shop, the uh, Northern Brewer. They actually had a discount for uh, McAllister students at the at the homebrew shop. So I was quite handy and borrowed a, a carboy to uh, ferment it in from a guy across the hall. And uh, yeah, uh, basically. So, so at, when you were doing this, were you thinking more from the craft standpoint or the college party standpoint, putting together, say, hey, man, I can make this stuff. Well, it, it went really well together. So uh, that was the, that was the idea. But I mean, it was really the idea of like, yeah, I can make cider. I've seen how this is done. Right. But I didn't have the proper apples. And at that stage, you know, I was like, well, you know, let's get these apples and put the yeast in. And I, I had a recipe of the profane existence uh, punk rock fanzine uh, had a, you know, how to make cider article in their, in their zine and, you know, said, oh yeah, throw it in there for two weeks and then it's ready to drink. And it was, you know. But it, did it take the place of beer at all for the, for your friends? Uh, you know, a little bit, but uh, yeah, we definitely, uh, I, I, after that started brewing beer as well. Um, but I made cider, you know, every fall out at my folks place, uh, Ever since then, kind of you know, go press the cider and then and then bring it back and, and ferment it. Uh, so uh, and uh, actually had some very interesting experiences as a, a young home brewer where I overcarbonated the bottles of cider and left them at my parents' house and they were exploding because they were overcarbonated bottles and one by to, one, like at different yeah. times. Yeah, like. and so I had to uh, put on gloves and safety glasses and go dump them all in the uh, in the yard because of the exploding. Uh, Factor, my mom wasn't too happy to have those around the house. Well, so. but those are the best learning experiences, right? <laughs> you, if, if it was all delicious and wonderful right off the bat, you wouldn't have learned. Right. You wouldn't yeah. have taken that step. So I'm curious. You said it was McAllister's? Yeah. Who was he selling to back in 19... 19- oh. Uh, you know, those days, White Oak. Uh, oh, yeah, White sorry. Oak. Yeah, yeah. McAllister was the college I went to, but yeah, oh, w- w- yeah. Okay. 
There uh, you go. White Oak Cider. So, yeah, he had um, quite a few good accounts in Portland, um, Pasta Works, uh, Higgins. And uh, what year was this again? Uh, so he f- sold his first uh, first year of production, I think, was 1995. Okay. And then uh, he kept it going until 2004 was when he, he shut it down because he was kind of just ahead of his time as far as making a very traditional dry cider that, uh, you know, was a little bit, off the beaten path for for most North Americans, kind of thought of cider as this kind of sweet, sickly, you know, beverage that was like you know m- maybe better suited for pancake syrup than than actually to drink, um, as the mostly commercial ciders that were available back then tasted that way, you know. So um, I don't think there was a lot of there was a lot out there, so there was there wasn't an opportunity to be educated, right? Unless a bartender perhaps would tell you, but yeah. Uh, for me, I didn't hear about it until I got to Portland and not too long ago, not many years ago. Yeah, there was a bit of a, a bit of a boom in the, uh, late nineties cider was really on the rise. Um, but, uh, it, it fizzled out fairly quickly, uh, in the early two thousands. And, um, sadly a lot of the, the producers didn't, didn't make it. Um, and it wasn't until about, oh, five, six years ago where there, this, this current resurgence in, of interest in cider really kicked off and, you know, cider's grown uh, 278% in sales since uh, from 2010 to 2014. So that's and, a and large it, growth. And it continues to grow at a, a pretty amazing rate as well. So, um, you know, the, the, there seems to be a more sustained growth in, in, in interest in cider uh, recently, whereas in the 90s it was, it was almost getting there, but it was still, you know, a tiny f- fraction of the percentage of the. Um, you know the the American beer market uh, still it's less than one percent. But uh, you said it's six percent out here. Correct? It's about six percent of the beer market in Portland. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So that it's uh, yeah, going to be very exciting. We've got CiderCon coming to town in February, and they always release all the statistics, and we'll have to see how much we've grown. I'm estimating a, it's about six. I know it was at you know five point four percent of the beer market in in Portland and Seattle uh, last year. And the beer market isn't sitting still. So for you right. to grow against that, that's Pretty impressive. So, Cider Riot, where where are you in the scheme of things in the cider world? Because you don't have a you don't have a retail location, correct? You're producing and and selling it through different outlets. Yeah. So, uh, Cider Riot's in it's located in my garage at my house in uh, the North Tabor neighborhood. Um, so, 500 square feet, um, but we we get a lot of use out of that 500 square feet. Uh, we're producing about 45 barrels. Uh, every month, so that's. Uh, there was another apple that started in a garage, at some point too. That grew pretty nice. Yeah, Reverend Nat's uh, hard cider started. Yeah, out I was and, actually uh, thinking of Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. Oh, okay, the apple. apple. There we <laughs> that, go. Yeah, that one. But so that's so. probably. But now that you mention it, that is probably how most of our our brewers here started. Yeah, you know, it's it's definitely um, a good way to kind of get your foot in the door. Um, unfortunately, the real estate market's very competitive, and we're, we're negotiating on a lease right now, which hopefully will get that lease signed. But uh, it took us quite some time to find a, a, a commercial space. Um, but then we'll have a um, tasting room and, and, and commercial space, a commercial uh, production facility uh, that'll be quite a bit bigger than what we've got and now. And how much bigger? So you're going from a garage to how many square feet? Uh, 7,300 square feet. Oh, so. that's huge. Yeah. So that'll allow us to grow, uh, you know, hopefully be a, a permanent, you know, long-term home for us and allow us to really increase production. And uh, and you you've know, got to not, make not si- significant capital investment, I would imagine, to fill 7,300 square feet with everything that you need 
Yes. Uh, obviously, what you have in the garage is going to take up a small portion of that. Right. You know, basically what we've got now will fit in the walk-in cooler at the new space. The right. walk-in cooler is going to be bigger than our entire production facility. So so do you have uh, do you have investors? How are you going about financing all that? Yeah, we do have, uh, we have investors and uh, we also have um, sold our distribution rights to uh, a local distribution company and that's really helping to offset a lot of those costs uh, associated with the build out. So, and when did you start Cider Riot? Uh, so we started in 2013. That 2013. Was our, our first, first harvest, yeah. So did you, in your business plan, did you have to grow in this, to have this progression and get to where you are and then where do you see yourself five years from now? Yeah, we planned to be in the garage for three years. I didn't realize quite how quickly we we're going to take off and, and maximize. You know, we're pretty much at capacity this year. We can't really produce any more cider out of that space uh, and uh, brought on quite a few more people as well to help uh, not only with the production but uh, selling the cider and things. And I kind of thought, oh, well, this is something I can do on, on my weekends and days off and things like that. But uh, quite quite quickly it became clear that it was necessary to uh, expand the workforce beyond just one person. So we've got about four people uh, working. Uh, we've got three people full-time and one person who's getting more and more full-time uh, as the weeks go on. So. And then when you have your new facility, I'm sure you're going to need quite a few more. Right. We'll be Doing a little hiring. Yes, yeah. And we'll have a tasting room as well, so we'll have to staff for that. Uh, and uh, when do you anticipate that'll be? Uh, we hope uh, Best to be, case scenario? Hope to be open with, in the tasting room, hopefully by May. I, oh, think, that's I think that's re- a realistic That's down the road. That's, I mean, that's not too far down the road. So do you think if you hadn't grown up on a farm and been planting trees at 15, w- w- when you were younger, what did you have a vision to do? What did you, is there anything from your childhood that, other than that, that would lead us, that led you to see that where you might end up? Or did you, were you going to be somewhere completely different? That's a good a good question. I mean, I you know, it's one of these, the, how do you know what you're going to do when you grow up? And that was something I never really, you know, knew exactly what I wanted to do. Um, you know, Did you for, think you are going to be in a, a farmer growing up on a farm? No, I, I didn't Didn't want to be a farmer. It's it's great, and it's, uh, you know, it's it's very rewarding. Um, it's a lot of work, too, though, and uh, it's it's rather isolated. I, you know, definitely, I like living in, in a city where I have access to, you know, arts and culture and, you know, just having people around is really nice. I think when I'm old, I might move back to a farm and be, get away from everyone. But for now, I really like living in Portland. So I think, and uh, the city's changing too. So it's, it's yeah. not what it was two years ago. It feels different. Yeah. It's, it's a bit, a bit mad out there. The, uh, the, the pace of the, the change is, is a little, uh, at times almost alarming. I think, uh, for somebody who's lived here, I moved back in 1999 when I finished college and mm-hmm. just seeing how drastically the changes are coming about, but hopefully we can hold on to that traditional, you know, Portland culture that makes it such a destination for all these people who want to come and live and experience that. It, uh, you know, a lot of us are immigrants, so to speak. So, and when I moved here, there was an attitude back in 05 that, Kind of stay out, especially if you're from the West Coast, stay out. And now I think that there are so many people who moved here in the last 10, 15 years that they don't necessarily feel as provincial or as uh, uh, the the stake in keeping it the way it was. We like it, but um, 
but there's so many new people that it's kind of changing with the times anyway. But it, even the traffic in the last year or two, it's a very different city, I think. Yeah, for certain. And I mean, you know, that's the thing is that, you know, since the Europeans or European-Americans arrived in, in Oregon, uh, you know, back in the, well, I guess, I, you know, if you want to look at 1811 with uh, the founding of Astoria um, there, but uh, it has been a kind of an immigrant culture. And, you know, they there's a word in Chinook, uh, Chichaco, which means newcomer or latecomer. And uh, basically that's, you know, was used to refer to anybody who showed up later, you know, whether you were on that, if you weren't on that first wagon train in, uh, you know, what, what was 1843, you know, uh, well, then you're a Chichaco. And uh, I think that's a thing that, uh, you know, there always is that, that uh, attitude a little bit. But I think the, the immigrant nature and the, the hope that's associated going to Oregon, the, the land at the end of the Oregon Trail, this Beulah land or promised land, is a, just uh, that, uh, that hope is in, brought with immigrants and people moving here. Uh, they bring this hope that life is going to be better in Oregon, and that, you know, it, it really adds to the, the vibrancy of the city and the vibrancy of, of Oregon as a, as a whole, because the rest of us, you know, you're just, you know, sitting here in our rain-soaked lives. And, and uh, you know, if you're just not, not dealing with all that new energy coming in, I think things could get very staid. And uh, I think that it's good to have that, uh, that uh, vibrancy that, that the immigrants bring in. Well, you probably wouldn't be seeing the growth in cider, the interest in cider, and beer and everything. You know, every years ago, a few years ago, there were a lot of chefs would say, "Listen, we're rooting for everybody, but not all these restaurants can make it. Some some have to close." And but as long as more people are coming in, there's opportunity for entrepreneurship, and that's what makes the community so special. As you have that dream, and you feel like you can realize it sooner than everywhere else. I think the sad part for everybody, as you alluded to a while ago, is looking for space. It's getting expensive now. So the ability to be kind of a grassroots DIY entrepreneur is slowly coming. Well, I don't know if it's coming to a close, but it's a little more difficult now. More risk. It's becoming more like Seattle. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, you know, things are getting to be uh, more like Seattle or even Vancouver, BC, as far as you know, real estate prices, but also just vacancy of, of any kind of real estate, just like the housing market, uh, just trying to find uh, commercial space. That's, you know, things are, were getting snapped up right away. People ready to, you know, walk in and, and, you know, we also ran into looking at places that, oh yeah, this, you know, underutilized uh, building would be a great space for our cidery. Well, they don't even want to keep that building. They're going to tear it down and build giant condo blocks there, right? So mm-hmm. uh, that that was a, a bit of a challenge. So Well, same thing going on with food carts. What made it an f- interesting neighborhood, and I saw Andy Ricker just posted the other day that Pac Pac is going to hit 10 years. Well, you think of what Division looked like 10 years ago, and I said to him, I said, they sh- the city should either should probably either give you a lifetime tax break or at least a Medal of Honor for what he did to change the scope of what was going on. But you have all these places that had food carts, and now because it became cool, now the developers are coming in and they're going to kill the goose. Yeah. And I, you wonder whether they'll still have it. But I think the people make the attitude, uh, help keep the, the vibe. Would it? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, the um, 
cities should really uh, put plaques in these uh, on these fronts of these new condos and say food cart pod memorial condos, you know, right? To the people who are living in these condos, they moved here for the lifestyle that involved going to the food carts, but they, they don't realize they've just displaced the food carts by living in these in these condos kind of thing. So it is really a little bit of a, a sad thing to see that that's yeah that 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 joy of being able to say hey i'm going to go out on a limb and start this small scale business um and it is getting a little bit more challenging because the you know the the cost of entry is is just going up and up because uh trying to find find that real estate even if it is just for a, a small food cart or a you know a small garage based cidery it's uh it's getting a little bit tougher so if you if you didn't have the growth in cider consumption you, uh, it might be tough for you right now to grow out of, tougher to grow mm. out of your garage. Yeah, and I think that that's something that, you know, I've, you know, traveled around uh, to a lot of breweries and, and, and cideries in, in Europe and things, and uh, people just have a different attitude about growth uh, in North America, where for us it, it was essential because I do want to get to the next step and I do want to have a bigger facility and create more jobs for folks and, and make more cider. Uh, but you know, I could also just have a small garage cidery and it would be a a part-time thing that I could just kind of keep it going. Um, looking at the, uh, volume of production of some of the cider farms that I visited in England, uh, this last fall, you know, it was, you know, they were doing about the same amount of, of production that we were out of my tiny little garage. Uh, but because we do so much draft, uh, and are selling it in, in kegs. We're actually selling volume wise more than, than some of these small, small farms in the West of England. So, uh, you know, it, there is a, there is definitely room for small scale products and, and, and we could stay as a small scale cidery, but, uh, for us, it's, it's just seems that there's the demand there. Let's, let's try and meet that demand. What were you doing before 2013 when you started Cider Riot? Uh, so I worked uh, in uh, deconstruction and uh, green building and uh, as a carpenter and uh, deconstructionist uh, since uh, 2001. So uh, salvaging, uh, taking apart buildings and salvaging materials. Uh, so I did that from uh, 2001 till about 2004. And then uh, I decided, well, you know, now I know how to take these things apart. Let's try and, you know, do the other side, which is to, to put things together. And, and uh, so I worked on not only um, residential remodels, but actually uh, built uh, the tasting room for um, uh, gigantic brewing and the tasting room for the uh, Breakside Brewing's uh, Milwaukee uh, pub there. And mm-hmm. those are all largely incorporating salvage materials. So that's something that I really enjoy working with. So what, what was the moment where you said, I don't want to do this anymore and I'm going to go in this direction? Was it? Did you start Cider Riot? You mentioned a hobby before. Did you start it as a hobby not sure where you wanted to go with it while you were doing that? Yeah, I, you know, I kept with the, the home brewing since I started when I was 17 there, uh, you know, and uh, was really involved in the, the beer community. Um, I also write about beer. I edit the Northwest Brewing News, um, and that's something that I've been writing about beer and cider uh, since uh, 2001. Uh, I actually used to work for the uh, Willamette Week as their uh, beer writer and uh, wrote about cider in 2001 when it was, you know, Again, this this thing that was that '90s surge, uh, it was just kind of cresting at at that stage. But uh, you know, so that's something that's always been a thread that's been woven into my life is the fermentation, and that uh, was one of those typical homebrewer stories where you're sitting around, you know, drinking cider in this case with uh, your buddies, and that they're just trying to 
be like, you got to make more of this so I can buy it in the store. Come on, man, you got to do this. And like just really berating me about why I should be making, making cider as a, you know, on a commercial scale instead of just as a hobby. And, you know, it was one of these things like, oh yeah, I'd love to do that. Well, I don't have all this money in order to open up um, a production facility. And then um, Reverend Nat, uh, Nat West, who has Reverend Nat's uh, cider, had his um, cidery in his basement. And he actually had me over and a, a few other folks. Uh, we were tasting through, he'd done a bunch of yeast trials with this uh, single varietal apple juice uh, from Granny Smith. And then he was trying to choose what yeast strain was best suited to that apple. And uh, so we were tasting through this and I saw his setup. And I'm like, wow, you got this licensed? You know, like, like, this doesn't seem this doesn't seem that, that hard to do. I could totally do that. And that's the wheels really started turning. And, uh, I just, uh, decided to, to go for it. I'd been thinking about doing it, you know, uh, pretty seriously, I guess in, in 2012, actually, you know, incorporated the, um, uh, uh, the, uh, the, or got everything ready to incorporate as a company, but didn't quite know how to do it. But after seeing, uh, what Reverend Matt was doing in such a small space, uh, decided, yeah, I can do this. And so incorporated it in, uh, April of, uh, 2013 and then spent that summer, uh, clearing everything out of my dusty old garage and, uh, turning it into a fully licensed and, uh, you know, uh, bonded, uh, winery is with, uh, getting the agricultural inspector to, to sign off on everything with the washdownable walls and floor drains and all that, you know, was that a laborious process or did it, did it go pretty smoothly or did you, could you now hire yourself out as a consultant to someone else who wants to go through the same process to tell them how to do it? I actually have people who try and get me to consult for them. Unfortunately, I'm so busy running Cider Riot that I don't really have a heck of a lot of time to do that kind of thing. But yeah, it's definitely, there's a, there's a definite learning curve with all the, the licensing from the city and the, you know, all the different hoops that you have to jump through from a regulatory standpoint. But, uh, you know, the, the labor part of it, just doing the, the build out was, was pretty easy for me. That's something that That's was right, right in my wheelhouse. So it was, uh, yeah, no, pretty no easy. Pun intended. Yeah. I had to, uh, yeah, I had to call in, uh, call in a fair few favors. I think I owe a lot of folks some favors from helping me, uh, put the roof on and, uh, do a lot of the build out, uh, still, uh, still definitely in the, uh, deficit on the favors owed uh thing now. i don't tell anybody that don't, <laughs> don't make them a, don't, don't don't uh make them aware of that so they come calling so did you have a lot of help from nat and folks was it a community collaborative is the cider community just as tight-knit as so many other communities here yeah definitely nat and uh, mike Wright at the commons as well because he had his you know his brewery started in his uh in his garage and those guys were great resources to go to and say, Hey, how did you address this problem? Or, you know, things like that. They were always really open and, and happy to help. So I try and, you know, uh, pay it forward in, in terms of when folks are asking about, you know, what, uh, what they should do if they're starting a small cidery, definitely try and take the time to, to answer their questions as, as people took time to, to answer mine. So Holiday time. Holiday time. Here we are. Right. And we're back in the middle. Right. You're always wondering where to go and why not make it easy and go online to harryanddavid.com. You need a place for quick gifts, hostess ideas, entertaining ideas, holiday decor. I was on their site this morning. They have some beautiful wreaths on there. Gorgeous. And I, I, 
I every year I promise myself I'm going to make myself a reef, and every year I don't. And this year I'm going to order mine from Harry and David because they have like fresh foliage or and dried fruit on there and herbs and just everything that's going to make it smell delicious in your house. Um, and they also have delicious things and delicious well. things. And one of them that that drew my eye and attention is stockyard steaks. They now. They now carry stockyard oh, steaks, yeah. so that's a great that's gift a, for clients, yes, friends, family. Guys, I'm always a little stumped on what to get. Like steaks are good. Steaks are a great idea. Charcuterie, moose munch, great for kids. My son loves moose munch. Um, chocolate truffles, and it's and a lot of it is grown uh, in Southern Oregon, especially if they're fresh fruit and they're pears and, and prepared there too. Yeah, so put the money back into this local economy. Yeah, support local. And, and that's what Harry and David is. Right. And they're supporting us. They're locally. supporting us and supporting you, listeners, because you get a promo code from now until the end of February. PDX10 is, is the coupon code that you enter online at harryanddavid.com. So do you have a favorite beer article that you wrote that you could cite that we could put on our on our show link, show show notes and... Uh, Wow, that's a good question. I'd, I'd have to say probably. Uh, and what was it about? The, the the probably the one that I think I'm most proud of would be I wrote a wrote a big article on uh, organic beer uh, back. Oh, what was that? Probably 2002, maybe 2001. Yeah, maybe. Is that is far? Some, is that so far that there's no arc, online? I don't archives think it's or, online anywhere. But yeah, uh, I think that, anything before 2005 is probably pretty tough to find. Yeah, that was uh, that that was uh, just kind of revolutionary as far as you know. Not a whole lot of people were were talking about organic beer, um, and uh, that was something that I researched and and was quite proud of. Uh, I think one of the other ones would be um, you know I've written some uh, articles for. Um, <clears throat> Uh, Zymergy, the uh, homebrewing magazine, uh, went to Germany and I did uh, an article for them about uh, uh, alt beer uh, and one about uh, um, Rauch beer, which is the smoked beer from uh, Bamberg. And, and those were just really fun because they're very in-depth, you know, going to the actual places and experiencing uh, experiencing that, that beer culture there and uh, and trying all the beers and then, you know, coming back to the States and going down to the homebrew shop and putting together a recipe and brewing them and, and all, all the aspects that went into them. I think those are probably some of the, the most fun to write, but I, I love writing about all kinds of Well, you got things. a lot of knowledge. So your product, it's got a show in your product, I would imagine. Um, we, we, I met you out in Hood River and you must have some ideas of great either beer or cider weekends long weekends to take places to venture have you been out to albatross in astoria to he's got some of the most uh interesting beer okay uh, yeah. available so i've heard uh, i've just heard the name but i haven't actually gotten to try the albatross yet so oh it's good and he's changing his he's changing it more to a oyster kind of situation but i was just curious if you've been out there astoria is a pretty popular destination now for beer yeah. Um, are there any for cider that other than Hood River that people might want to keep in mind? I, I obviously Portland, and and we'll talk about some of the places to go in Portland for great cider. 
But outside of Portland, if someone uh, wants to... You know, Seattle's a great cider city as well. Uh, they've got Schilling, uh, Schilling Cider has this tasting room right in the heart of Fremont there uh, that not only has all the all the ciders that they make, but they've got a huge wall of taps. I think they've got like 50 taps and it's all cider. And uh, they've got, a, a you know, bottle cases, kind of like uh, Bushwhacker over on, on Powell, a similar similar model to that. Uh, but I definitely recommend that they've got capital cider, uh, which is up in, uh, the Capitol Hill district. Uh, they are actually more of a, they have, they're called capital cider, but they also have craft beer and, uh, craft cocktails are a big thing for them and, uh, food and, and stuff like that. But you can definitely, uh, make a, you know, make a nice weekend out of visiting Seattle. There's, um, over in, uh, Woodenville, there's a bunch of, uh, cideries there. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, there's uh, Seattle Cider, of course, down in. Uh, um, oh, it's near. It's near uh, Airport Way, and that's so. Uh, is it Sodo? What's what do they call it now in Seattle? It's I don't. A, I don't. Well, like Georgetown. I just know that's on its way to Tacoma over there. Yeah, the Georgetown Georgetown area of uh, of Seattle. It's just right around there, in kind of the industrial area. So, what's a better cider city, Seattle or Portland? Oh, I'd, I'd say Portland, um, and not you know not tooting our own horn, but I mean that's where you know, look at, you know, Bushwhacker Cider pioneered this cider bar thing and showed people that it could be done in North America to have a cider pub. And, uh, they, they really started it all. Um, and, uh, you know, we've had this, this good cider culture here. I think, uh, you know, Seattle is great as well. Uh, but I think here, you know, just with, with craft beer as well, you know, both, both cities have long, you know, and respected heritages, but there's just, there's more, availability and uh people just embrace that that craft and that flavor sooner in portland it's a, just a little bit different attitude um we are a little provincial we only like to drink oregon beer and oregon cider at you know if you go on your tap list in a in a craft beer bar and that's that is starting to change now but uh traditionally it's been very oregon centric whereas in seattle you won't find as many washington beers uh, on that draft menu, you're going to have a bunch of Oregon beers. You'll have some Colorado beers, some New York beers, you know, these lots of foreign, foreign beers on, on the menu. Whereas in Oregon, you don't see quite as much of that, uh, because we have this vibrant, you know, beer and, and so much. culture. I mean, it's highlight what we have. So where was the place on Hawthorne that we went? That was, uh, that's Portland cider. Yeah. So Portland cider, uh, their production facility is out in Oregon city. Uh, but they opened, uh, their pub, was that just this spring, I guess, uh, the, on Hawthorne there? And uh, uh, they, uh, yeah, they've got a great, uh, you know, but lineup. Not, not many of them were their ciders. That's what that's what struck me with the, and I was really cool to see uh, Digital Pour, the, the scoreboard, pretty yeah. much. Um, and I know Lisa, she's a friend of mine, and I had... I know how hard she works, and I haven't seen her product in action too much, but that was the first time I had the opportunity to really use it and uh there's a there's so much product there and it was a lot of fun to try so many different ciders i took one home that we're going to have on thanksgiving excellent yeah no the the you know the great thing i mean as you mentioned it is a kind of uh, the cider community is very collaborative and uh when uh when they were opening portland ciders pub there they were like okay yeah we're gonna have our you know, showcase our, our ciders, but they really wanted to get a great selection of uh, local cider producers uh, there. And uh, you really see that, that variety all the way from, you know, Easy Orchards, which makes a very traditional French-style cider, 
uh, to the guys down at Wildcraft down in Eugene who are coming up with some really creative things, as as the name implies, a lot of wildcrafted ingredients that they go out to the woods and and collect. And uh, yeah, seeing some of these these Hood River ciders, and you know, we've always got a, a cider or two on tap over there as well. And yeah, it's it's just a really uh, really fun community to be in, and it's good to see everybody. Uh, supporting uh, supporting everyone else. I thought, and I'm not going to name names, but I thought it was interesting when we went to Hood River, we went to a couple of cideries and and we did tastings, and I think there was a consensus that almost all the ciders at one place were mo- most people's favorites. There were a couple of people who liked the other, but it was pretty clear that mm-hmm. there was people liked one over the other. Why do you think that is? Um. I mean, they I mean, they all. We tried twelve ciders at each one, or six, I guess. But yeah, I, I think you know, people's everybody has their own palate. But I think that people who are pushing the envelope towards the dry side, their ciders are really more drinkable. Um, that's that's something that we do. Uh, that's something you find regionally in the Northwest. People are are veering more to to the dry ciders, more of like an English style traditional dry cider than. Uh, a lot of places in in North America, they still are just doing cranking out these sweet things that, you know, they're back sweetened so heavily with either sugars or you know juice or something like that that you can't really taste the fermentation character of the cider. And uh, I think that that really lends itself to drinkability and you know enjoyability of of ciders. And you know, it's it's kind of different when you're tasting ciders too, just in sample sizes. It's like, well, yeah, that might be great in a you know three ounce pour, but think about trying to drink a whole pint of it and, and then have another one, you know, that that's, that's kind of where I think that certain, you know, certain cideries are really succeeding is, is just kind of pushing that envelope, uh, as far as palate wise away from what we think of as the typical North American sweet bland, you know, we, you know, as a, as a food, uh, you know, food person, you, you know, that that's not where our palate in Portland is. Uh, and uh, definitely, I think we're dragging the rest of the country slowly, uh, kicking and screaming along away from their Wonder Bread and uh, and saccharin sweet everything. So I think that's that's where the the future of cider lies, and I think that that's something that we've, we're doing really well in the Northwest. A lot of folks getting away from from the the overly sweet ciders. So do you? I was just happened upon a group that you were leading. Do you do any kind of tours or? Uh that people can tap into your knowledge, pun, um, pun actually intended. But. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't do anything um, on a regular basis. I've I've done uh, some classes with the uh, Wine and Spirits uh, uh, Wine and Spirits Archive over um, in uh, the uh, what used to be the uh, Rock Club La Luna uh, on Ninth and Ninth uh, and Pine there in Southeast. I uh, did a class with them uh, this summer, and uh, I think we're going to try and do that again next year, uh, and then. Uh, I've arranged some things. I think that's something that once we get our, our tasting room up and running uh, at the new space, we'll definitely try and do some cider education. Uh, there's a new, you know, just like they have the uh, Cicerone program for um, beer, uh, there's a, actually a program that's uh, uh, been developed as a cider uh, cider expert uh, thing, and they're having their first exam uh, during CiderCon in, uh, in February. So uh, that's something that I haven't got the time to actually take that exam, but I'm really glad to see that folks are doing that and uh, might try and get involved with that that program as well. 
So where is CiderCon? Where does it take place? Uh, so CiderCon is a gathering of cider makers uh, from all over the country. Uh, it's been held in Chicago, um, but uh, they've started moving it around, and uh, we're the host uh, city. So where's it going to be? Uh, where- so it's going to be located in the uh, Hilton. That's where all the cider makers will be gathering, but there'll be other events during the week of CiderCon, uh, which starts uh, February 2nd and runs through the uh, 6th. Uh, so we're actually... We're bringing over a, a band from England, uh, the uh, Skimity Hitchers. They uh, play uh, what's called scrumpy and Western music. So they sing songs all about cider. And so they'll be playing in our new production facility on the 5th of February. And uh, then uh, there are going to be other events. Uh, we're working to organize uh, some events. I know Nat's got uh, some events uh, coming up that, that week. And uh, I'm sure Portland Cider and Bushwhacker will just be jumping with with activity we're organizing an event with uh with apex uh during that week uh so you'll see a, a bunch of ciders on tap just as you saw with craft brewers conference this last april mm-hmm. bringing all the brewers from all over we've got all the equivalent with cider makers so you'll see a lot of fun out of town ciders as well as a lot of special stuff well that'll be a good place for everybody to get a get a good taste or a lot of good taste and get a feel for it so the layperson, so like me I took, we took that trip up to Hood River. What would you suggest is a good couple of days or a good day? Uh, you certainly can talk about the places we went to, but what would you suggest for the person who's not, uh, who needs to be acclimated to it and enjoy it? I really enjoyed it, and I'm going to order more cider after that day. What, would it, what kind of visits would it take? Uh, I think the first place to start is going to be your, you know, your local bottle shop or, uh, you know, Bushwhacker Cider, either their original location on Powell. That's probably the best place to start because you've got all the, you know, in addition to what they have on draft, but all the bottles and all the different ciders from all over the world. Um, I think a uh, good uh, book, uh, Jeff Allworth uh, has just written. He's a local uh, beer writer and he's he's also started writing about cider and has just done this uh, uh, Cider Made Simple uh, book. And then there's also um, a couple books, World's Best Cider, uh, which is a really good uh, kind of compendium coffee table book sort of thing that that uh, talks about the different uh, types of cider that are out there. But uh, yeah, the Cider Made Simple book as well. But, uh, you know, just in Portland, I think Bushwhacker and Portland Cider, uh, you can go to Reverend Nats has a tasting room as well. Uh, they like to do some fun experimental stuff that you're not going to see out in the trade as much that they just have on at their tasting room there. Um, those would all be great spots to uh, start. So the easy ones. A nice day trip would be to go out to the Gorge White House where we went. Yeah, the Gorge White House. And, and they uh, have a great fo- little food Fox cart Tail. there, by the way, for lunch. Yeah. Although it's not open year-round. Yeah, I think that... Uh, I think that's what something you'll run into in Hood River. Um, I, those guys at Foxtail were saying, "Oh yeah, we're shutting down, shutting down for the season coming up." So um, I think that you might be one to save. You know, save it for apple blossom time. That'd be a lovely time to to hit up the the Fruit Loop there and visit some of the cideries out there. Um, I, I'm not certain certain what the timeline is, but I know that over in Stevenson, the um, uh, folks from Jester and Judge. Uh, their spot is just right on the river, but uh, they don't have their tasting room up and running yet. They're just a production facility. But as soon as that tasting room gets open, that's going to be a fantastic place to visit. Um, just quickly, restaurants that aren't cider, that aren't bushwhackers or Portland cider, restaurants that are doing a really good job with cider. Where, would, where can someone go get a great meal and have a nice selection of cider? Uh, you know, a selection of cider is a little bit more challenging because people are so inundated with all kinds of beverages, you know, like you've got, uh, 
you know, your beer list is huge now in addition to your wine list. So, um, but there are folks, uh, really, really pushing cider. Um, I think that, um, you know, the, oh, it's on division, the French, there's a French place on division and they've got quite a few ciders in there. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of it. How far out in division? Oh, it's around 30th, kind of near Imperial Bottle Shop in that stretch there. It's like a little... No. Yeah. It's cafe. not coming to mind. There's so yeah. much new there. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know how it... Uh, all yeah. right. Well, why don't we, if you can come up with a list, we'll put it on our show notes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a couple good. of a couple of good, nice restaurants that yeah, do the, cider well. I know the farm. Lardo has a few. Yeah. Has a few ciders. He's got a few on, his, on tap there. Yeah, Toro Bravo is actually uh, they you know they kind of specialize with the um, the you know Spanish you know Spanish style ciders, but uh, we've got some cider in there as well. Um, the Farm Cafe uh, does some some uh, good stuff with cider. Um, Grain and Gristle uh, is a great uh, you know beer and food place primarily, but mm-hmm. uh, they they keep some cider on there as well, and uh, always doing doing fun fun stuff to pair with it as well. Cool. So what fun cider things do you have on tap for the holidays? What do you, what do you do with cider to make it the holiday that much better? So we've got a, our Rudy's cranberry hibiscus cider is our holiday seasonal that comes in the, the uh, two liter action growler, Mm -hmm. uh, which, uh, you'll be finding that around the, the shops now. Um, so that is, uh, cranberries and hibiscus. So hibiscus, uh, is, uh, it's actually hibiscus flowers that we put in there, but it's kind of the flavor that you associate with fruit punch. Uh, but we've paired it with this really tart cranberry so that, uh, you get this like, oh, well, it smells like fruit punch. It's going to be really sweet. Well, actually it's quite tart. Uh, and it's this lovely, uh, kind of ruby red hue. Uh, so that, that's a real fun one for the holidays. Um, something that we did, uh, last year with our never give an inch, which is our, uh, Oregon blackberry cider is you actually mold that. Uh, so you'll, you'll pour, pour that into a pan and, and heat it. You don't want to boil cider ever. That's uh, not going to be too good for it, but just bring it up, uh, warm that up, and you put in uh, some traditional mulling spices. You know, you get your, uh, your allspice, your mace, uh, maybe a little bit of clove, maybe just a touch of cinnamon. You don't want to totally go too heavy uh, with the cinnamon or the clove because those will actually get quite bitter. Um, but, uh, you'll, you'll just warm that up and then you can enjoy it, you know, outside on a cold, you know, snowy or frosty evening. Um, you, you can really make a lovely, um, beverage. And there's something that I, I haven't actually tried, but when I was in the West country, uh, got a, a recipe for the cider punch, uh, that you actually make with mulling spices and then you actually infuse with, um, with spirits. I think, uh, gin is what's called for in this recipe. So, uh, that might be something that I'll be, uh, experimenting with for the for the holidays cool so where do we find ciderriot.com yep and then you got instagram yeah we're on instagram as cider underscore riot and uh we're on twitter as at cider riot and uh facebook uh cider riot so good and then look for you keep checking the website to find out where to do some tastings come may june july summer definitely yeah next fall yes indeed and and please come see the uh, skimity hitchers uh, on the 5th of february at our to be announced uh, location new new spot so we won't be up and running but we're just going to get a temporary sales license for the night and uh, have some traditional uh, west country ciders uh, as well as uh, traditional west country cider drinking music so cool be tons of fun well thanks so much for coming it was uh, it was an education for me when we ran around and it was nice to talk about cider again and you 
how you got there. So thanks. Thanks, Abram. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. Our pleasure. Right at the Fork is hosted by Chris Angelus, produced by me, Heather Jones, and expertly sound engineered by Court Johnson. We record at the beautiful studios of Alpha Media, and we can be found anywhere on the internets where you can listen to podcasts. If you want to find us and talk to us, we love emails and tweets and Facebook posts. You can find us at rightatthefork at gmail.com, on Facebook at Right at the Fork, and on Twitter at Food Podcast PDF.